25th chapter. We are going to start tonight a study on the tabernacle. Exodus chapter 25, verses 1 through 9. We're going to learn about the only building of its kind, of its size, of its size, other than the temple, of course, but of its size to ever be completely perfect in every detail. This tabernacle is estimated to cost $2 million in its construction. So we're going to spend as much time as God wants us to studying the tabernacle of Moses. It's good to see each and every one of you. Glad that you're here tonight. Praise the Lord. Let me turn these lights off so that you can see the picture a little better. Give myself a little light here. Amen. So I can see the, the scripture. All right. There's a picture of the tabernacle right there. You can see how massive the encampment was. And we'll talk about the encampment as we get to that, how large the encampment was. And we'll talk about where it was laid, how it was laid out, etc. But if you can imagine, I'll just give you a little detail about how large this encampment was. It would cover 480 square miles. So this encampment was not a little thing. What God did here was not a little thing. It was a very, very big thing that he did. Exodus chapter 25, in the word of the Lord. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, that they bring me an offering of every man that giveth it willingly with his heart. Ye shall take my offering. And this is the offering which ye shall take of them gold and silver and brass and blue and purple and scarlet and fine linen and goat's hair and ram skins dyed red and badger skins and shittim wood, oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil and for sweet incense, the onyx stones and stones to be set in the ephod and in the breastplate, and let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them according to all that I will show thee after the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all the instruments thereof, even so shall you make it. Let's pray. Father, we come before you right now. We ask your blessing to be upon the reading of your Holy Scripture. We ask God that you would give us illumination and revelation tonight and inspiration tonight, Father, to declare your word concerning the tabernacle. In Jesus' mighty name we pray, amen. You may be seated in the name of the Lord. When you study the tabernacle, the significance of the tabernacle is seen in the fact that there are 43 consecutive chapters that are given to the study of the tabernacle, beginning with chapter 25, all the way up through those chapters in the book of Leviticus. When you look at 
the dwelling place that God made for man to live in, God in Genesis gives it two chapters. And you think about the vastness of this planet, how large this planet is, and how much time the scientists spend in studying the place that God made for man to dwell. And he put it in two chapters in Genesis 1 and 2. When we come to the tabernacle, in order to study the mysteries and the wonders of God's dwelling place, we have over 40 chapters, 43 chapters consecutively that deals with the tabernacle alone. So if you think the dwelling place of man is awesome, the planet Earth, you're about to see some things in the next few weeks that will teach you the mysteries and the wonders of where God dwells. Say praise the Lord. When you study the tabernacle, verse 9 of Exodus 25 tells you that it is a pattern. Say a pattern. So right off we find out when God tells them to build this tabernacle, He lets us know by the word pattern that it is pointing to something in the future. That it's not just going to be built, just to be built as a structure. But every piece, every furniture, every curtain, everything that's in this tabernacle is a pattern. It is pointing to something that is going to come. It's a pattern. Say a pattern. It's a pattern of something else. So when you study the tabernacle, it's not just to study the furniture, the parts and pieces of the tabernacle. It's to understand that everything in it represents something that is going to come in the future. Say amen. Let's go over to the book of Hebrews and we will find there that God makes reference to the tabernacle. The book of Hebrews is the commentary, New Testament commentary on the Old Testament. You cannot understand the Old Testament if you do not understand the book of Hebrews. And we recently taught you that book not long ago. A commentary on the Old Testament. Hebrews chapter 8. Please turn there. And there it tells us in verse 5 to serve unto the example and shadow of heavenly things as Moses was admonished of God when he was about to make the what? Tabernacle. For see, saith he, that thou make all things according to the pattern showed thee in the mount. So God lets us know. Uh, he tells Moses that the tabernacle is going to be a shadow. It's going to be a pattern. What is a shadow? Anybody know what a shadow is? How do you get a shadow? Well, this is a shadow. This is an Old Testament shadow. It is a pattern of something that's going to come. Now, the shadow is not the reality. You understand that? A shadow is not the real thing. Reality is standing in light. 
that make sense? How do you get a shadow? You can see my shadow right here, I think. Some of you can. Why is there a shadow being cast back like that? Does light create a shadow? No. There's the light right there. I'm the object standing in the light. And the object standing in the light casts a shadow. Now, can you tell very much about me right there on the floor in the shadow? You can see a sketch. You can see a figure. You can see a shadow of me, correct? But is that shadow on the floor, is that the real me? No. I'm the real me. But I'm standing in this light, and as I stand in this light, the object standing in light creates the shadow. So in the Old Testament, then, we have a shadow. But that's not the real thing. That means there was something, an object, standing in light, casting its shadow back into the Old Testament. You catch that? That is the shadow. Now, let's go to Psalm 50 and verse 2. Where did the light come from for the tabernacle? Because remember, the shadow is not the, real, the reality. It's a picture, okay? It's a silhouette of the real thing. All right, Psalm 50, verse 2. And I'm sure many of you are familiar with this scripture. Psalm 50 and verse 2, it says, Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God hath shined. You understand that? So he's letting you know out of heavenly Zion that God is shining. The light is coming from God. It's the God of glory who is shining. So he's the light. Okay? And he's shining on, if he's the light, he's shining on an object that's casting that shadow or reflection back into the Old Testament. So what is the light shining on then that creates that shadow or that reflection? Well, first of all, the Bible tells us in the book of Hebrews that that Old Testament tabernacle was a picture of the heavenly tabernacle. Okay? So there was already a heavenly tabernacle, if you will, if you can grasp it, the New Jerusalem. Now, some people think that when Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, all right, you with me, John 14, y'all remember that? So I go to prepare a place for you, are y'all here? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will what? I'll come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Is that correct? Some people think, well, Jesus, after his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension, took a hammer, a gold hammer and silver nails, and started building the new Jerusalem. When it says, I'm going to prepare a place for you, the new Jerusalem already was in existence when he said that. Okay? Are y'all here? 
to prepare the place for us, then it's not the Lord up there building a heavenly tabernacle or a heavenly sanctuary with a hammer and nails. That new Jerusalem was already built. You understand that? It already existed before Adam and Eve. It existed before Abraham. But when it says he's going to prepare a place for us, that means he's going to take his blood there and he's going to purify the heavens because Lucifer rebelled against God there and polluted it. So when he dies on the cross, he's going to prepare a place not by building the city. The city's already built. He's going to prepare it by his blood, purifying that place because the devil rebelled. All that he has to do now because it's been purified, prepared, is to sound the trumpet and shout and call you up to heaven. Does that make sense? So when we talk about this shadow and we talk about from Zion, the perfection of light has shined. We are talking about before the world was ever created, there was the new Jerusalem. And God there shined on that heavenly tabernacle and cast it down to the earth. So that Hebrews tells you that the real tabernacle is in heaven. And this right here was a picture of the heavenly tabernacle. Do you understand that? Praise the Lord. Now, that's the first thing you need to understand. But secondarily, it's a picture of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ is the true tabernacle. John 1, 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then John 1, 14 says, The Word became flesh and tabernacled among us. So this tabernacle, this shadow then, is a shadow of Jesus, the true tabernacle of God. And everything you see in this tabernacle, you're going to see the object is Jesus hanging on the cross. So the light of God is shining on the heavenly tabernacle. The light of God is shining on Calvary. You with me? Now how can that be? If this happened before Jesus ever came. How can God cast His light on Calvary and cast that shadow back to the Old Testament if this happened before Calvary? That is exactly right. Jesus was slain from before the foundation of the world so that in heaven everything is already finished. Do you understand that? Before it happens in time, it's already finished. So, because... You with me here? It was already finished in eternity before it happened in time. God can shine His light on that object of Jesus hanging on the cross, the true tabernacle hanging on the cross, and cast a shadow back into the Old Testament with the details of what Jesus' first coming in His humiliation and hanging on the cross, all that means. It's to help you understand Jesus' first coming. So the light shining on the heavenly tabernacle casted it back to the Old Testament tabernacle. It's shining on Jesus hanging on the cross. You will see that the encampment itself is in the shape of a cross. You with me? 
when Israel traveled through the wilderness, if you were to be in an airplane, you could look down and you would see them traveling in the shape of a cross. All the pieces of the furniture, the altar, the labor, the uh, menorah, the table of showbread, the altar of incense, and then the Ark of the Covenant. That's all in the shape of a cross. You understand that? So Jesus is hanging on a cross here, object standing in light, and it's cast back to the Old Testament, and we have the shadow here, or the reflection of the reality. Number three, it represents you and it represents I. Because the Bible says, Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. So now you are the tabernacle or you are the dwelling place of God. So everything we study in relationship to this shadow that's been cast uh, by that object standing in light is going to teach you about the heavenly tabernacle, about Jesus Christ in His first coming. The temple speaks of Jesus in His second coming as King. This tabernacle speaks of Jesus in His first coming and His humiliation upon the cross. Are y'all with me? And thirdly, it speaks to you, the church, the dwelling place of God today. So that's why this study is so very, very important. So when we look at Hebrews, and it tells us in Hebrews 8 and verse 5 that it's a shadow. That means it's a reflection of an object that's standing in light. And hence, we've already declared to you what that is. Say, praise the Lord. Now, God is that light. Say, amen. Let's go over to the book of Hebrews once again. Hebrews 9 and verse 9. Lay some foundation for you here. Hebrews 9, 9. And as we look at it, we need to keep in mind, then what do we need to keep in mind? We need to keep in mind that it's a picture of that true heavenly tabernacle. It's a picture of Jesus Christ, and it's a picture of the church and salvation. You've got to keep that in mind, okay? Because every place, every piece of furniture was a bleeding spot on Jesus' body, the true tabernacle. He bled in his feet. He bled in his side, the labor. He bled in his two hands, the showbread and the menorah. His heart was broken at the cross and blood and water came out of his, out of his side. That is the altar of incense. And then his head was pierced. Does that make sense? Okay, I'm trying to give you bits and pieces so you understand the significance of this. Now go to Hebrews 9 verse 9. Uh, uh, let's start with verse 8. The Holy Ghost, this signifying that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while as the first tabernacle was yet standing, which was a figure, say a figure, for the time then present in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the service perfect as pertaining to the conscience. So now in Hebrews 9, and 9, it tells us that it was a figure. Okay, so what is it so far we've learned? It's a pattern. It's a shadow. It's a reflection of something that's going to come in the future. Now we find out God says it is a figure. That means it's an outline. It's a sketch of what is going to take place in the future. That's what the word figure means. It means a sketch. Say praise the Lord. Okay, let's go to um, Acts 7. 
In Acts chapter 7, in reference to the tabernacle, he says, in verse 44, he says, Our fathers had the tabernacle of witness in the wilderness, as he had appointed, speaking unto Moses, that he should make it according to the fashion that he had seen. The word fashion there, literally the Greek is type. So now we know by this word, that it is a, a fashion or it is a type of something that's going to come. So you have a type first, and then you have an anti-type, which is the fulfillment of the type. You with me? Say amen if you are. It's sort of like, how many of y'all, do I have a notary republic? I think a uh, notary, notary here. You're a notary, brother? Okay, that stamp that you use, all right? You have a stamp and impression that's placed on the paper, correct? So you have a type and you have an anti-type, the fulfillment of the type. So it's going to be exact. It's going to be identical. It's not going to be different. So when we talk about a type of Jesus Christ, we talk about a type of the heavenly tabernacle, we talk about a type of the church, you're going to see it exactly in the type because the anti-type, does that make sense? The fulfillment of the type is going to have the same impression. You can recognize it. Does that make sense to you? Now, so we have here, the Bible says in verse 44, our Acts 7, our fathers had the tabernacle of witness in the wilderness as he had appointed, speaking unto Moses, that he should make it according to the fashion that he had seen. Who did he speak to Moses? Who speak to Moses? God spake to Moses, right? I'll read it again. Our fathers had the tabernacle of witness in the wilderness as he had appointed, speaking unto Moses that he should make it according to the type that he had seen. So what we have here is God, we'll get into this, Moses goes up into Mount Sinai, he brings two things back down with him from the mountain. He brings the law of God and he brings the tabernacle plan, the plan for the tabernacle. Now you remember, as soon as he comes down, the people are worshiping naked a false god. And he takes the tables of stone and breaks them. Because they have already broken the law of God by false worship. So look at this. God gives him a tabernacle. The law, because it's been broken, can't save you. You understand? It was already broken before they ever got started. It was already broken. So the law can't save you, amen, it condemns you. So God then gives him the plan of the tabernacle, the law that condemns you in one hand, the tabernacle in the other hand, the tabernacle restores you back to fellowship with God. Does that make sense? So God showed Moses when he was in Mount Sinai, he gave him the Ten Commandments, the law, and he also gave him this tabernacle. That means that God showed him a miniature tabernacle. Now I say miniature, maybe it wasn't miniature at all. Maybe Moses looked into the same heaven that Isaiah looked into when he saw the Lord sitting upon the throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. 
Are y'all with me here today? If, if Moses, if God showed Moses the heavenly tabernacle, it wasn't miniature. It was large. What the Bible's telling you is that God appointed Moses to build this tabernacle. Moses didn't design it. Moses didn't plan it. God designed it. God planned every piece and every part of it. And he showed it to Moses. Either as a miniature form or he showed him into the heavens. What Isaiah saw in Isaiah chapter 6. So Moses becomes simply the uh, construction supervisor of the tabernacle. You understand that? God said, all right, I'm going to show it to you. This is the way I want it built. Every piece, every part, etc. And you're just going to be the construction supervisor, superintendent to build this tabernacle that I have showed you every detail. Amen. So that tabernacle then is absolutely perfect in everything. Its design is perfect. Every piece of furniture that's in it is absolutely perfect. Everything is perfect because it was designed by God himself and revealed to Moses. God showed him that pattern. He showed him and appointed him as the one to build this tabernacle. Say amen. All right, go to 1 Corinthians 15. And the scripture tells us there that it's the spiritual or the natural first and then the spiritual. 1 Corinthians 15. Are y'all with me so far? If you are, say praise the Lord. I'm having a problem here because my shadow is blocking the. All right, verse 46. How be it that? I'm going to give you time to find it. 1 Corinthians 15, 46. How be it that was not first which is spiritual, but that which is natural, and afterward that which is spiritual. So what God does in the Old Testament with the priest and the tabernacle and and uh, various types and shadows and figures, sketches, etc. What he does is he gives you these natural things to teach you about something that's going to come that's spiritual. Are you with me? He doesn't give you the spiritual first and then say, okay, now that you're spiritual, keep the, nat- the, uh, the natural. He says, I give you the natural so you can understand spiritual truths and spiritual realities so that you can understand that that's just a shadow. But the real thing is found in Jesus. The real thing is found in the Spirit now. Say amen. And a lot of people miss it on that. They don't understand. They think that the Old Testament types and shadows, all right, are y'all hearing me? are the end of all things. They look to them to be the reality. Jesus is the reality. Say amen. Of the types and the shadows. All right, so it's the natural first, and then it's the spiritual. Now, why did God want them to build a tabernacle? Why? Let's go to Exodus 25. No, we're not going to do that. We're going to go all the way to Genesis. In order to understand why God wanted them to build a tabernacle, you have to start with the book of Genesis. Say amen. Genesis chapter 3. Is everybody clear now? All right. In Genesis 3 and verse 8, 
The Bible says, And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. This brings us to right after the fall of man into sin. What is he doing? He's hiding from God because he sinned against the Lord. Right? Fellowship has been broken. A disconnection has taken place. A divorce has happened. And you in the garden. Now I've told you this before. That's very unique to see a voice walking in the garden in the cool of the day. They could hear the voice of God as God approached them. God was talking to them. And the voice was walking in the garden in the cool of the day to do what? To fellowship with his creation. To fellowship with man. Divinity wanting to meet with man. Deity wanting to talk to man. And man talking back to him. Amen. In a relationship. In a fellowship. But now man has sinned and there's been a divorce, a disconnection. The relationship has been severed. A third party has come between the two. A third party named Satan. A third party named sin has stepped in to the relationship and severed the relationship that God had with man. But notice, even though they have fallen into sin, God is still looking for them. God is seeking to have that fellowship with them in a particular place. But they're no longer in that place. It's not geographically only. It's spiritual as well. They're no longer in a spiritual place that they once were. They're no longer geographically where they're supposed to be. They're hiding themselves in the trees of the garden. But God, because He loves Adam and Eve and because He loves mankind, He is showing up the same way He always does to fellowship with them and to have a relationship with them. But they are not in their right place. And because they're not in the right place and because now they're in sin, God can't connect with them. Because sin is in their life. And God can't fellowship with somebody that's in sin. You with me? Yes, He still loves them. He desires the fellowship. But the third party called sin, the third party called Satan, has come between the two in the relationship. And so now God is in, if you will, a dilemma. It's not God's dilemma. Man has put God in a dilemma because God wants to fellowship with them. God wants to be in a relationship with them, but He can't because of sin. Because He's holy. Say amen. Are y'all with me? Man has fallen. 
Man has divorced. Man has disconnected from God. Are y'all here tonight? He's broken fellowship with God. And God just can't go up there and grab him and hold on to him and say it's okay because sin, God is a holy God. You understand? He's not going to dirty himself with sin. But yet he still loves man. Say praise God. Amen. If you believe what I'm saying, believe what I'm saying. And not only that, not only has man sinned against God and sin separates a man from God, but the seed of the devil has now entered into them. Did you hear what I'm saying? The seed of that serpent that beguiled them in the garden is now on the inside of man. That simply means this, but I don't want you to kind of freak out on that statement, but what that simply means is now Adam and Eve are a part of the family of Satan. They have the seed of the serpent working on the inside of them. Breaking fellowship, divorce, the third party has come in and separated them. Well, what is God going to do? He is going to begin to seek to reconcile them. Seek to bring them back in relationship with Him. Seek to bring them to a place of communion with God again because He loves man who has sinned against Him. Does that make sense to you? But because now man is the seed of the serpent. In case you don't understand that tonight, there's two seeds in the world. There's the seed of God and there's the seed of the serpent. I will say it again, there's only two seeds in the world tonight. You are either the seed of the devil or you are the seed of, the, uh, of God. Amen. And when man sinned against God, he became a part of the family of Satan. Well, what's God going to do about this? Because he wants a relationship with man. Amen. Man's out of his place. He's not where he's supposed to be. And so the Bible tells us, let's go to Genesis 22. And you know the story. I told you you had to start in Genesis to understand why tabernacle. Genesis 22, the Bible says in verse 15. And the angel of the Lord said unto Abraham out of heaven the second time and said, By myself have I sworn, saith the Lord, for because thou hast done this thing, thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, that in blessing I will bless thee, and in multiplying I will multiply thy seed. As the stars of heaven and as the sand which is upon the seashore, and thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in thy seed shall all the families or the nations of the earth be blessed because thou hast obeyed my voice. You catch that? Where have you heard that scripture before? It's in Galatians 3.16 where it tells us that the seed of Abraham, that latter verse, verse 16 uh that we read. Let me make sure I got the verse right. Uh, verse 18, Genesis twenty-two, eighteen, And in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because thou hast obeyed my voice. That seed there is referring to Jesus. Galatians three sixteen. 
he makes reference though above that, that in blessing I will bless thee, in multiplying I will multiply thy seed. That's the nation of Israel. Does that make sense? Now listen to what I'm about to tell you right now. When you read in the Bible about Jacob, Jacob is the natural descendants of Abraham. When you read in your Bible about Israel, Israel is the spiritual seed of Abraham. Now you can be a member of the natural family of Abraham and not be a member of the spiritual family of Abraham. Amen. You can also be a part of the spiritual family of God, Israel, and not be a part of natural Israel. But God is talking about here to Abraham that he's going to multiply his seed. Are y'all with me here today? As the stars of heaven, as the sand which is upon the sea. That's, that's speaking of natural Israel. Okay? Amen? But notice he says this. I want you to see it. I will multiply thy seed as the stars of heaven. That's the spiritual seed. I'm looking at the stars of heaven tonight. The spiritual seed of Abraham. And as the sand of the sea. That's natural Israel. You understand? And then he talks about, and thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies, and thy seed, now we're moving to one, Galatians 3.16 tells you, shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because thou hast obeyed my voice. Now what you need to understand is that prior to this, all that Abraham had was a promise from God. And the promise was that Abraham and Sarah would give birth to a son. Sarah has never had any children. She's barren. Abraham is past childbearing. He's past the ability to conceive natural children. Are y'all with me? On his own. You understand? Sarah's 90 years old. Her womb is dead. Abraham's 99 years old. You understand? They're beyond childbearing age. That is the plan of God. God left them on the earth until Abraham could not produce children till his seed died. And Sarah's womb was dead. And then God said, I will multiply thy seed. So that Isaac is a miracle child from God himself. God, watch this, God put his seed in Abraham. And Abraham put that seed in Sarah. And when he did, the womb leaped like Isaac with laughter. Because God knew that the natural seed was the seed of the serpent. And so God said, I've got to let the natural die in Abraham. And I've got to leave Sarah in a condition where her womb is dead. So I can put my seed in her womb and cause it to leap with laughter like Isaac. So that that seed, verse 18, he's making reference to. Galatians 3.16 says that seed is Jesus. 
So what did God do? He is awesome. Because He knew that man at the fall, the disconnection, He knew that man, when man divorced him by sin, that he became a child of the devil and he was a seed of the serpent. So now God says, I've got to do something about that. I've got to bring another seed into the earth. And I've got to wait till Abraham's uh, ability to birth children is dead and Sarah's womb is dead so I can put my seed in her and she'll produce a promised child. A supernatural child by the power of God. A miracle baby named Isaac whose name means laughter. So God is in the process all the way back in the book of Genesis. He's in the process of seeking man because he loves man and wanted a fellowship with man. But there's a problem. Man has disconnected. Man has fallen out of relationship with God. There's sin in his life, and he is the seed of the serpent. So God says, I've got to bring another seed into the earth, Jesus. But I've got to put that seed first in a dead womb and in a man that can't produce a child. Supernatural. And ultimately, Jesus will come forth. Say amen. Now, Genesis 15, back up there, please. Hallelujah to the Lamb. In 15, Abram said, Behold to me, thou hast given what? No seed. God promised him a child, but Abraham says, You've given me no seed. That's God's plan. You understand? And lo, one born in my house is my heir. Well, let's... Go on down here. So we find out there's no seed. We found out how God's going to remedy that. He's going to do it supernaturally. Verse 13. God tells Abram this. Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in the land that is not theirs. What is that land? Egypt. Amen? And they shall serve them, and they shall afflict them four hundred years. And also that nation whom they shall serve will I judge, and afterwards shall they come out with great substance. So God is going to take care of the seed problem, and now He's going to make provision for the place. Because Adam and Eve were out of their place. They were hiding in the trees of the garden. They were no longer in fellowship with God. So God says, I'm going to take care of that by giving you a provision for a place. Say amen. Say a place. Now, let's go over then to the book of Exodus. That makes sense. Why a tabernacle? Exodus 25 and verse 1. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, He's going to tell him to take up an offering. Why? Say amen. Verse 8. And let them, I'll get into the offering in a minute, but the reason for the offering 
is let them make me a sanctuary. Can you imagine? It's been 2,500 years since Adam fell because this tabernacle takes place in 1500 B.C. From Adam to Jesus is 4,000 years. That means for 2,500 years, God has been looking for a place where he can reconnect with fallen man, where he can dwell with man and fellowship with man and commune with man for 2,500 years. Can you imagine that? And everything that he's been doing is to lead up to this point right now in order to be able to fellowship. So he says, build me a sanctuary. The word sanctuary means a place where God resides. A sanctuary means a set-apart place for God to live in. Would you think about that? God has been in heaven all these years in the heavenly tabernacle. And now he says after 2,500 years, and of course I told you about the seed, he took care of that already. But after 2,500 years, he said, I want to move down from here to there. Now I'm not saying he's going to stop being there, but I want you to get it so you can understand it. He said, I don't want to just be up here. I want to be down there with you. I want to be down there in the midst of my people, in the midst of my creation. I want to fellowship. I want to commune with them. I want to dwell with them. Hallelujah. Isn't that an awesome God? He could have stayed up there and said, I'll fooey on all of you. But he said, no, I love my creation so much. If you will receive this, he said, I got to go down to earth. And I want to go to a place, a specific place in a wilderness and fellowship with my people there. And I want them to build that sanctuary where I can move in and be in the midst of my people's lives. Say amen. Give God praise. So, isn't God good? And so verse 9, he says, According to all that I show thee, after the pattern of the tabernacle, and the pattern of all the instruments, therefore even so shall you make it. Why? Verse 8, that I may dwell among them. I want to dwell among them. I want a tabernacle among them. Are y'all here tonight? That's why he's restoring the fellowship again. Amen. Say amen. Hallelujah to the Lamb. And he knows the only way he can do it is by the tabernacle, by the sacrifices, the offerings that will take place there that will bring man back into fellowship. Does that make sense to you? Now, obviously, there are people in fellowship with them before this who brought sacrifices to him, but I'm talking about where God dwells. He's going to dwell there in that tabernacle. He's going to live in that tabernacle among his people. Say praise the Lord tonight. Hallelujah. Go over to verse, in the same chapter 25. Verse 22. And there I will meet with thee. And I will commune with thee. So, so now we found out there's going to be a place, a particular place that God's going to move in and God's going to dwell in. And he says the reason for it is that I might meet with you. 
and I might commune with you. He said, I want to talk to you. I want to have fellowship with you. Hallelujah. Are you with me today? The word meet. He said that I might meet with you and commune with you. This tabernacle is called in the Hebrew, O-El Moed. O-El Moed means uh, uh, a, uh, a meeting place. Say a place to meet. O-El Moed. And then we have the word tabernacle used. It is the Hebrew word mishkan. Mishkan. Y'all probably heard that before used. Are y'all with me here so far? So now we know why God is built wanting this tabernacle. Because He wants the relationship back. He wants the disconnect to be removed from man. And so He says, I want you to build a pattern, a shadow, a figure, a sketch of something that's going to come in the future. And that is a picture of the heavenly tabernacle. It's a picture of Jesus' true tabernacle, a picture of the church where God is dwelling on the inside. Where is God tonight? First Corinthians, let's go with it. you got to get this in your head so you'll understand. This is why it's so important. In First Corinthians... That's the New Testament, by the way. Let you know that. Praise the Lord, church. We're going to have a time. Three sixteen. God says, "Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in." You. Now we know where he dwells. John 1 1, John 1 14, we know that God, Jesus is the true tabernacle, but now he says he wants you to get it that God, his spirit, is dwelling in you tonight. Know ye not that your body is the temple of God. The spirit of God is dwelling, 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 dwelling in you. Paul is saying, Know ye not? Because the, this is something the devil doesn't want you to know. If you are a born-again believer filled with the Holy Ghost, speaking with other tongues, the devil doesn't want you to know that God's living inside of you. Say amen. And then 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, What know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you? which you have of God, and you are not your own. So now, we become the tabernacle of God. Exodus 25 says, The Lord speaks unto Moses. You need to understand that when he gives him this command, Moses' location is in Mount Sinai. He's getting the law, the Ten Commandments, and all the other laws that are adjacent to it, and he's getting the tabernacle plan. He's in Mount Sinai. Amen? God says, Speak unto the children of Israel, that they bring me an offering of every man that giveth it willingly with his heart. Ye shall take my offering. Wow. This is fascinating. God says, 
in order for me to show you my stuff, my stuff, in order for me to manifest my stuff to you, you have to give me your stuff. Now, when we get to Sinai, that means God has already delivered Israel out of Egyptian bondage. He's already defeated the false gods of Egypt who were visible gods made by the hands of men. Gods that were produced by man. And when, when Moses walked in before Pharaoh and he says, God says, let my people go. Pharaoh says, who is the Lord that I should obey him? I don't see him. I see this God and that God and this God and that God. Visible gods that man made with his own hand. But he said, I don't see this God you're talking about. Show him to me. Who is this Lord that I should obey him? He had a problem with worshiping the, the God of the Hebrews. Because the God of the Hebrews is invisible. He had a hard time worshiping the, the Hebrew, the God of the Hebrews, because this God was not produced by man. And this God is invisible. Are y'all here? And you and I need to get a hold of that tonight. Because if you're not careful, you'll fall in the same trap of Pharaoh. Because you can't see God, you have a problem in the area of worship. Do not be a failure in the area of worship because you can't see Him. The God of the Hebrews, Jesus, is invisible. Hallelujah. And Pharaoh had a heart. He is a problem for him. Show me, who is this God that I should obey Him? I don't see Him here. I see all these other things. I produce them with my hands and I worship them. But an invisible God telling me to let the people go. Amen. And so what does God do? He begins to send ten judgments upon the land of Israel. And He judges in every one of those judgments. He is judging one of those false gods. Say praise the Lord. So at this point when we find Moses, they've already left Egypt. Oh. Five in a rank. Say five in a rank. Exodus 13. Talks about how they came out in the margin of a Bible that say they left five in a rank. They left in order. Two, two to six million people. Six hundred thousand men by foot. And they say, okay, six hundred thousand men by foot. If you take the women and children, they come up with an approximate figure of people of two to six million people that walked out of the land of Egypt. If it was two million people, the line would have been 230 miles long. Five in a rank. This was not a little thing that God did. 230 miles long. Say amen. Five in a rank. Orderly. Orderly. Because God is a God of order. He's not a God of confusion. And when they came out of Egypt, five in a rank, two million. Minimum two million. Walked out 230 miles long. It was a big thing that God did. And as I said earlier, when they camped out, it was 60, 60 by 8. 60 long, 60 miles long and 8 miles wide. 480 square miles. That's how big this operation is. My God, when He does things, He does it in a big way. 
When you think about this God, you always remember that when God does something, He does it in a big way. This was not a little operation. This was huge. They crossed the Red Sea. Pharaoh drowned, etc., etc. Came to Mount Sinai. And God gives the law and gives the tabernacle to Moses. Say Amen. Now you got to follow the line here. Because in 32 verse 1, Exodus 32 verse 1, the Bible says that when Moses came down on the mountain, they were worshiping a golden calf. Something they could see with their eyes. Something they could produce with their own hands. You see what I'm saying tonight? Dancing naked around a false god made by their own hands. And when Moses sees that, he takes those tables of the law and he throws them to the ground and he, the law is broken. Say amen. But he's got in the other hand the tabernacle which is going to restore man back to God. But here's what I'm saying to you tonight. Is that when God asked them for an offering, Exodus 32, verse 1 and 2, is in the background. Because the offering is not even taken up until after Exodus 32. Are you with me? Sometimes you read Exodus 25, you think it's way back here. Exodus 32 is way up here, 35. No, look at the history. God tells Moses in the mountain what to do. He goes down out of the mountain with the law and with the pattern of the tabernacle. And when he gets there, the people are worshiping idols. They made a golden calf with the earrings. Say amen. But when Moses is up in the mountain, while they're down there worshiping the golden calf, which they made with their own gold, God says, go back down there and tell them to give me an offering. Did you hear what I said? And when Moses walks down to the mountain, they're already, they've already built the golden calf with their earrings. He, they've already built the golden calf with their jewelry. Are you here tonight? But he's got the plan from God, the tabernacle, that they are to give an offering. You know what God is doing here? He knows they're down here worshiping a false god. He's going to say, how much do you love me? He's going to put him to the test. You took your gold, you took your earrings, and you made a gold calf out of it. Hallelujah. Do you love me as much as you love that old God you used to serve? Because the same earrings that they used to build the golden calf with is going to be used to build that tabernacle. And what God is testing them in how much do you really love me? Do you love me as much as the false god you were worshiping? I'll bring practical application to you tonight. You remember when you were in the world and you were dancing naked around a false god? Am I preaching to anybody here tonight? Won't you just all get a job and go to work and let's not have church anymore. Do you love God? The invisible God of the Hebrews, that's the only true God that there is. Do you love Him as much as you do a false God? 
And if you do, God, the true God is saying, I want an offering from you. You're going to prove it. And God, He doesn't get embarrassed and He doesn't get nervous about asking you for money. Because it is a test. How much do you love this God? The only God that there is. You used to spend your money on drugs and alcohol and cigarettes and partying. You danced naked around a false God that you made with your own hands. And now God says, all right, I'm going to test you to see how much you really love me. Will you give me as much as you gave the old God you used to serve? Hallelujah! You used to sing in the world. Will you sing for me in church? used to spend your money on drugs and alcohol and cigarettes. But now that you know the true and living God, will you bring your money to me? I will tell you, by personal experience as a pastor, anybody that does not bring their tithes and offerings to God is not real. That's my experience as a pastor. And my experience as a pastor. Anybody that doesn't bring their tithes and offerings are not going to stay very long in this house. That's been my experience. Because where your treasure is, there shall your heart be also. And if your treasure is not in building the kingdom of God, then we know and God knows where your heart is. So when God comes to you and requires the tithe, an offering is free will to build His buildings. But the tithe is not free will. The tithe is mandatory. Say hallelujah to the Lamb. The tithe does not belong to you. It belongs to God. It's not up to your choice. Your free will offerings are up to your choice. But the tithe is mandatory. So God says through Moses. And he wasn't, God wasn't nervous and God wasn't shaky about asking for the offering. Jesus. Do you love God as much as the false God that you used to worship? Some of you used to worship money. You used to worship your job. You used to worship your car. You used to worship yourself. And you threw money at yourself. And you threw money to party. Now God says, bring it to me. What you used to give to the false God, bring it to me. And he's not bashful about it. He's not nervous about it. He comes to you and he tests you. How much do you love God? Everybody say in Jesus' name. I got some fired up in hand, right? Moses, take up an offering. 
Because material is needed. Seven things are required for the tabernacle. If you study Exodus 25 and Exodus 35 and so on and so forth, there are seven things recorded that is necessary for the building of the tabernacle and one of them is materials are needed. God says, in order for me to real my, reveal myself to you, my stuff to you, you're going to have to bring me your stuff. But before they could ever do that, they had to get out of Egypt. Because God will not let you stay in Egypt. you got to get up and move out of Egypt. Because Egypt's a type of the world. Satan's a type of the devil. Are you here tonight? If you're going to serve this God, you got to move out of that. You are not going to be accepted until you get out of Egypt. And then you're going to bring God an offering so he can have the materials necessary to build this sanctuary. Are you here tonight? Speak unto the children of Israel that they bring me an offering. Notice it doesn't say tithe here. It's an offering. It's free will. Any man that's willing, that has a willing heart, literally that their heart has been impelled by the Spirit of God to give it. The offering, the Hebrew word there, for offering literally means something that belongs to you. This offering is your possession. The Hebrew word means a possession that belongs to you that you are going to use for your pleasure. It's your spending money. God had already told Abraham, when you come out, you're coming out with great substance. God gave it to him in Egypt. When they left Egypt, where did they get this great substance? It came from God, hallelujah, to the Lamb. God had already told Abraham hundreds of years before, when you come out and you're coming out, when you do, you're going to come out with great substance. All those years they worked and served Pharaoh, God said, I'm going to make sure Pharaoh pays you for every day, for every hour. Hallelujah to the Lamb. And now it comes time for them to bring an offering from the substance that God gave them that they took from the Egyptians. And he says to them, I want what belongs to you for your personal pleasure. And I want you to, the word offering also means to lift it up. He said, I want you to take that which you were going to use for your personal pleasure. And he said, I want you to lift it to a higher purpose. I want you to give it to God. And when you give it to God, it's going to be on a higher purpose. Give the Lord praise in this house. I will tell you tonight, that's why everything we have in this church, everything, all that we have here is completely paid for. It is debt free completely because of God's people willfully being impelled in their heart. Their heart is in it. They want to do it. That's why everything that we have here in relationship to this church is debt free. Glory be to God. Glory be to God. 
And many of you have taken money that you were going to use for personal pleasure and gave it to God. You say, well, God wants it. Yeah, he's not nervous about it. Well, he already wants 10%. That's mandatory. That's the starting place. And then on top of that, he wants offerings too. How much does God want? I give my tithe and I hear God telling me give more. How much does God want? 25%? 30%? No, he wants 100%. He wants everything that you and I have. But he's so good that he says if you bring the part, the first fruits or the tithe, he said I'll count it as the whole. When you bring a tithe to God, an offering to God above your tithe, God counts the other 90% as having been given by you from your hand to God. He counts it as the whole. He doesn't want 25%. He wants 100%. But He's so good, He says you get to keep 90%. And I'll count it like you gave the whole thing if you just bring the tithe. Say praise the Lord. Jesus! How much money did you spend on entertainment? How much money? Are you with me tonight? That is the very money that God's asking for. Your entertainment money. Say amen. Now God's good, isn't he? I said God is good. Well, tonight we have abundance in our church accounts, thank God, because of your willing heart to give above your tithe. We have abundance. And tomorrow, we're going to start beautifying this parking lot. They're going to fix all the busted up areas on the parking lot. They're going to seal all the cracks. And they're going to uh, 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 cover it uh, with two coats of covering. Seal coat, they call it. And it's going to be restriped, brand new striped. And it's in, in place of those old busted up parking bumpers. We're going to get the brand new ones. Hallelujah. So when you drive up and you see a bunch of people out there working, don't call me and say, hey, pastor, somebody's here working. I already know about it. Amen. And we're in the process of, of uh, working with the contractor to do other things as well to beautify this church facility. Hallelujah. Where are we going to get the money? Well, I'll tell you right now, just in our general fund, we have $75,000 in abundance. So when I preach this to you tonight, I'm not saying I'm going to take up an offering. You've already done this. Hallelujah. So now when it's time to do something, it's there. Are y'all here tonight? God says, if you bring me your stuff, I'll show you my stuff. Hallelujah to the Lamb. It doesn't mean that you're not going to go through a test sometime. But are you willing to worship an invisible God that you can't produce with your own hands? And when you don't see Him moving like you want Him to, Will you give sacrificially? One of the things 
that God will work on everybody is in the area of giving. Because by nature, we are cheapskates. By nature, we're tightwads. Are y'all here? Say amen. Isn't it amazing? I'll show you how confused the devil is. You want to know how confused the devil is? He'll come and tell you when you live for God, you're in bondage. And he'll tell you that if you get in the world, you'll be free. God said, I bring you out of Egypt, out of bondage, so you can be free in your worship. Tell me, give God praise in this house. And when Moses goes before Pharaoh, he says, God wants to fellowship with us. That's why he wants us to leave here so we can have a big old feast with the Lord. So God didn't bring him out of Egyptian bondage to put him in bondage. He brought him, brought him out of bondage to bring him into freedom. But I'm telling you, the devil will confuse you. Oh, the world's so great. You're in bondage. Holiness is bondage. You know, you need to drop holiness and go to the world. I'll promise you if you leave holiness, you will not find freedom. You will find bondage. You will find torment. The devil is a lie. I didn't say the devil's a liar. I said the devil is a lie. And if you listen to him, you will not have power. You will not have victory in your life. If you listen to God, miracles will break out all around you. God says, bring me your stuff and I'll show you my stuff. Miracles will break out all around you. Jesus, I feel the Holy Ghost in this house. When I was in the world, I gave everything I had to the world. I gave everything I had to have a good time. I don't care how much it costs me. I didn't care if I ate. As long as I had something to make me feel good. And God has set me free. So how can I do any less for Him? than what I did when I was in the world. These people to begin with gave a third of their time in service to God. To begin with, this very people gave a third of their income to God to begin with. God's testing them and the true tabernacle is testing us. Hallelujah. But he says, this is an offer. And it's going to be free will. Bring me an offering of every man that giveth it what? Willingly. The true tabernacle Jesus came willingly into this world. The true tabernacle Jesus came in your wilderness. Where you were wondering, he stepped in. 
and said, I want to bring you out of your wilderness. I want to deliver you from your bondage. Are you here today? Give God praise in this house. And because this tabernacle was willing, because Jesus was willing, he says, everything that has to do with this has to come from a willing heart. It has to come from somebody whose heart has been impelled by the Spirit of God to do it. Somebody that simply will respond to God's goodness. An offering above your tithe is a response simply to the goodness of God in your life. God's been so good to me and I'm going to respond to Him. I'm just going to be honest with you. I love y'all dearly, but I am a little bit concerned about some of us because some of us are really starting to get focused on a lot of things. And it's distracting our attention from God. I want to tell you something. You better know where to draw the line when it comes to life. When something's taking too much of your time, you better draw the line. Because God wants your time and God wants your offering. And He is not bashful to ask you for it. I know that that many of you have got to make a living. I understand that. But who comes first? God or Pharaoh? Who comes first? God or the golden calf that you've made with your own hands in Jesus' name? Hear this, Pastor. I know you don't want to hear it, but I'm still going to tell you. That's why today in so many apostolic Pentecostal churches, they are dead in their services. Because they've given themselves the golden calves. Years ago, when I first, if you think about it, it's been 12 years since I preached on the tabernacle. Do you realize, church, that when we first started the church on Brazos in 1995, Shortly after starting the church, the first or one of the first series that I ever preached for that church was the tabernacle, 1995. And then the year 2000, five, six years later, the Lord told me to preach the tabernacle again. It's been 12 years since we preached the tabernacle to you. God is calling you tonight and letting you know how much he longs to fellowship with you. Don't let a third party come in between you and cause a divorce. Don't get disconnected. He wants to dwell in you and fellowship and meet with you and love you and hold you. That's how much he cares. But do we, love enough, do we love God enough to give to Him even what we gave to the golden calf? How many of y'all remember when you were in the world, you'd go out there dancing on the dance floor? Lights everywhere. Lights above you. Lights in the floor. Boy, you could really dance, couldn't you? You in your spaghetti string skirts and you men in your silk um, button disco shirts down to your belly button with your high heels Whew. 
Yeah, men had high heels in those days. They were just a little wider. Hallelujah. Oh, yeah, we thought we were tearing it up, man. Are you with me tonight? We spent so much time and so much money dancing around a false god naked. And your God has saved you. And God has delivered you. You understand tonight, and I'll show you with time as we get in the tabernacle. I need to come to a close tonight, but I will show you that the women ministered to that tabernacle. And when Jesus came into the world, the women ministered to the true tabernacle, Jesus Christ. One lady with the tears that came from her eyes fell upon his feet. She washed his feet with her tears and dried them with her hair. The women ministered to that tabernacle. You know what they you know how they ministered? The Bible will tell you that they sewed the goat hair covering on the tabernacle. They brought their looking glasses for the labor. They exchanged earthly beauty for heavenly holiness. Some of you women tonight, when you got in the church, you brought your looking glass to God, your mirror. And you exchange earthly beauty for heavenly holiness. God bless your heart. I said, God bless your heart. Look at your neighbor and tell him, I exchange earthly beauty for heavenly holiness. They brought their finger rings. They brought their earrings. And probably brought their nose rings too. And said, here's some more gold for the tabernacle. Women ministered to that tabernacle. They brought it to the man. Said, here, husband, take it, give it to God. I don't need no earrings anymore. I don't need no finger rings anymore. I don't need my mirror anymore. You take it to Moses and you give it to Moses so Moses can be the construction superintendent to build God's house. Hallelujah. In the name of the true tabernacle, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. They wove, sat down, and they wove the goat hair. There are four coverings on that tabernacle. The porpoise skin, the badger skin, say amen. Ram skin dyed red, goat's hair, and then beautiful curtain of linen. And they wove, they ministered to that tabernacle, and they sewed it all together in Jesus' name for the glory of God. And the women did it with a willing heart. And the men did it with a willing heart. Say praise the Lord. I will say it again. It has been my experience. Anybody that doesn't bring their tithe and offering to God will not last. It's been my experience. Anybody that doesn't bring their tithe and offering to God are not real. And God will test where your heart is by knowing where your treasure is. Give God praise in the house. He said, bring me an offering of every man that giveth it willingly with his heart. 
you shall take my offering. God says, I want your heart to be in it. I don't want you to do it because you have to or grudgingly, but because you love God. It's a love response. Say a love response. Hallelujah. This is the offering which you shall take of them. Now, if you have time, go to Exodus 35, and there you'll see some more information about wisdom, the wisdom that came from God. Amen. It uh, was built by the Word of God. It's by the Spirit of God. Material is needed. It has to be done with a willing heart. Are you with me? Or a free heart. Somebody that's free-hearted. Hallelujah. You can go over there and get it. And seven requirements are listed in 25 and 35 and on, so on and so forth. But now we come to 15 offerings that God receives from the hands of the people. 15. Because 15 has a numerical value. It has a five in it. A five multiplied three times. So that you will understand that everything that's here in these offerings is of grace. It's God's enabling power. So 15 offerings will be received. The number five also has a Hebrew value of the word heaven. So God is saying 15 offerings, a multiple of five, because the number five is the number of grace. It's the number of heaven. Hallelujah to the Lamb. Give the Lord praise in the house. And so the first thing God says to do is He says, you shall take of them gold. Gold. Say gold. I'm going to go real quick. And I'll give you more details as we get into the tabernacle. But gold is made by God, not by man. And because of that, gold represents God. It represents deity. Say praise the Lord. Hallelujah to the Lamb. Whoa. See, I want to go off, but I talk to you about other things. But I'm going to stay right here. Gold represents deity. And the Bible goes on and it says they're going to receive not only gold, but silver. Say silver. In Exodus chapter 30, though, we have something very significant about silver. The silver that is received by the, from the people and their offering was used for other utensils in the tabernacle. But the silver that was used for the foundation each one weighing a hundred pounds a piece, a block with two holes in it for the boards and the pillars to be stuck into. That silver foundation that was around the tabernacle or the, the outer enclosure and that silver foundation under the tabernacle itself did not come from the offerings of the people. Exodus chapter 30 talks about they were to, to give God a half shekel and that half shekel is a redemption shekel. It's an atonement money. Are y'all here tonight? And so atonement money or redemption money was used for the silver at the base of the tabernacle, the foundation, say redemption. What redeems us is his blood. But the, remember the gold is a type. The silver is a type. So we can tell you without reservation that silver is a type of redemption because it came from redemption money. You understand what I just said? 
So the silver here, yes, it's still a type of redemption, but it is the offerings, and this will be used for utensils. And then we have brass. God says, take brass as an offering from them. So here comes somebody with their gold. They said, hey, I got the gold. And somebody else comes and says, hey, I got the silver. And somebody else says, hey, uh, I've got brass. I've got copper that I can contribute. Hallelujah. And brass speaks of the righteousness and the justice of God. It speaks of God's judgment. His righteousness, His justice, His judgment. And so bring the brass. And one brought the brass. And then the Bible says, and blue, bring blue. Mm, blue. Blue speaks of the heavenly Lord. It speaks of Jesus being the Lord from heaven. Hallelujah. Say with me, the heavenly Christ. He wasn't just a man. He was the Lord from heaven. He's the heavenly Christ. So bring blue, the color of heaven. Hallelujah. And then he says, bring purple. Purple is uh, uh, Christ as king. Purple is the color of royalty. Say hallelujah. So we have the kingship of Christ, the true tabernacle displayed in the purple color. And then we have scarlet. Scarlet speaks of Jesus in his earthly walk in suffering at Calvary. This is the Christ on the cross in the scarlet color because that's the color of blood. And then we have fine linen. Say fine linen. Notice here it doesn't say silk. It says fine linen. If I understand correctly, fine linen is from the vegetable kingdom. So anyway, bring fine linen because fine linen speaks of his earthly walk as the Holy One of Israel. White speaks of holiness. White speaks also of righteousness. But it speaks of Jesus in his holy walk upon the earth. Say praise the Lord tonight. If you believe it, say amen. And he said, bring goat's hair. In order for you to have goat's hair, the covering that was on the goat has to be separated from the goat. So the goat hair represents separation. And it represents the curse. Jesus Christ became a curse for us say amen. The goat's, the goat's not, uh, you know. Well, we have a scapegoat that was killed as a sacrifice. I mean, two goats on the Day of Atonement. One was killed and one was led into the wilderness and let go. Say let go. Not cast off the side of the hill. Biblically. But the Jews did it. They added to the Bible. They took the scapegoat led by a fit man and threw him off a cliff. But the Bible didn't tell him to throw it off the cliff. He told them to lead it out into the wilderness and let it go. Hallelujah to the land. So anyway, the point is, it's a picture of Jesus becoming a curse for us hanging on the cross. Cursed is every man that hangs on a tree. Hallelujah to the land. Then it says, and ram's skins dyed red. You remember the ram that was caught in a thicket is substitute, a substitute for Isaac. So the ram skins dyed red speaks of Jesus in his substitutionary work for us. He became a substitute for us. He died in our place, and it's ram skins dyed red, blood red. Say amen. And then he goes on, and he says, uh, and badger skins, the original word translated in the King James badger, is porpoise skins. It is uh, like the dolphin. Yeah, you heard me right. That kind of skin. 
Where'd they get all that? Where'd they get dolphin skins for that outer covering? Where'd they get that? Well, the Red Sea was full of them. And the Nile was full of porpoises. God said, give me your shoe leather and I'll give you shoes that will never wear out. The Bible says in the book of Deuteronomy that their clothes never wore out for 40 years. He said their shoes did not wear out. He said, you give me your shoe leather and I'll give you shoes that won't wear out. Hallelujah. And they walked into Canaan with the same clothes. They, hallelujah. Let me put it this way. They could have walked into Canaan with the same clothes. In fact, they did that they wore out of Egypt. Don't you never say, God can take care of me. Real fast. So anyway, that is, that's, uh, we'll get into that as we get into that. And then he says, and shite them wood or sheet them wood. Uh, say sheet them wood. Sheet them wood. Hallelujah. It's twisted. It's gnarled. Um, it's got big old six inch thorns on it. You can pierce it at night. And it will ooze the gum for medicine. He said, take shite of wood. Twisted and gnarled. Cut it down, hew it, make it straight, remove the crookedness off of it to make the boards in the tabernacle. This is a picture of Jesus in his humanity because a tree is grown in the earth. Gold is his deity, Shadowwood speaks of his, uh, his humanity. Say praise the Lord. He came and died in the darkness uh, of our, uh, of sin and, and freed us from that. Uh, so he, in his humanity, is pictured by the shadow wood. Now, and then we have oil. Say oil for the light. Jesus is the light of the world, and so give oil for light. Say for light. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! Say praise the Lord. Oil for light. That oil is going to have intermingled into it spices. Amen. Not in the particular, I don't think it was in the golden menorah, but oil that is used to anoint with is going to have spices mingled in it that speaks of the new birth. Then you have oil that is an anointing oil that is going to be placed on the person for service. You have this oil here is for light. Say light. Jesus is the light of the world. I'm finishing in about five minutes. He says, spices for anointing oil. There it is. And for sweet incense, which speaks of, all this speaks of Jesus in His anointing, etc. In Him, the Spirit of God dwelt. He's anointed for service. He's the light of the world. And then it talks about, as well, uh, sweet incense. This is Jesus in His life, a sweet aroma unto God. Say amen incense that's going to be offered on the golden altar. It's going to ignite. And it's going to go straight up. Because they're going to put something in that mixture. Instead of smoke spreading out, it will go straight up every time. A particular family will put that one particular thing in that those incense so that the smoke will go straight up every time. It's history that they tried to take that family away from doing it and the family started making the incense they made it and the smoke spread out everywhere and they called the family back and said we need you to make put that ingredient back in there to make the smoke go straight up that doesn't spread out. Anyway, God bless you.
Oh, by the way, if you want to know where that is about the scapegoat not being cast over uh, the side that that came later with Jewish addition to the scripture, that's in Edersheim's book on the temple. All right? The Bible goes on. I'm going to finish now. He says, after he talks about the sweet aroma of, of the true tabernacle, on its stone, say Jesus is the stone. He's the stone cut out of nothing without hands. He's the one if you fall upon, you'll be saved. But if you don't, it'll fall on you and grind you to powder. He's the true stone. Now listen, I know I've gone fast today. I just thank God for helping me to preach it. There's all kinds of things that, that was, was trying to hinder this from happening tonight. You know, trying to set up things, limited on time. Everybody that's claimed to be called to preach wasn't here to lead service. God bless Brother Mark for leading service for me so I could stay back here and prepare a little better. Amen. But I'm telling you, there were all kinds of things coming against this. Sister Natalie's, you know, her, her music wouldn't work. All kinds of things were coming against this. I'm telling you, you're looking at a man that was completely dependent on God's anointing tonight. Now, I studied to show myself approved unto God, but I had to have God's anointing to quick everything into my spirit tonight. Say, praise the Lord. He's a good God. He wants to fellowship with you. He wants to commune with you. Now, I guess it would have been all right if I would brought my notes with me, but I didn't bring a note with me. If you don't do that, you know you're hanging on God. Say amen, hallelujah to the Lamb. Oh, but see, notes don't work for me. It might work for you, but if I get up here and I got notes, I'll be reading, I'll, I can't preach. There's no flow. Say amen. So what I'm saying when I say that, it's not, I'm saying, God, I need you to flow it out of me. Hallelujah to the Lamb. Say praise the Lord. He's good to me. He's good to me. I'll just say it to you this way. The ornate stones that went into the breastplate of the high priest and on his shoulders, God never built anything with brick. Man builds things with brick. There was no brick in that tabernacle. There was no brick in a temple. And nothing that God ever built was made out of brick. Man uses brick. God uses stones. Things that God made. He said, where they're going to go, they're going to be set in the ephod and in the breastplate and let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among men. I want to reconnect with man. I want to be able to fellowship with man again. I want to commune with man. I want to dwell in the midst of their heart and in the midst of their life. So build this tabernacle so I can come and move in and dwell with man. So that I can cover the tabernacle with my glory and fill the tabernacle with my glory. The God of glory could be seen. When they look up that glory cloud, they're going to see God. Invisible manifestation. And when that glory cloud is seen, it's not going to be on the outside of their camp. It's going to be right in the middle of the camp. God's not going to share you with anybody. 
He wants to be in the center of your life and the center of my life. And when that glory cloud, when God got ready to move, they moved when God told them to move. We got people today, they move when they want to move. Oh, well, pastor, don't understand me, so I'm going to go somewhere else. And they move on their own accord. They don't know God. These people did not move on their own accord when they wanted to move. They moved when God told them to move. And I don't know if you know this culture or not, but in this culture, there's what's called shakes, not milkshakes. I know some of you call it sheets, but it's really pronounced shake. And in that culture, a shake, a prince, will ride his stallion. He's leading his caravan. He'll ride his stallion. He'll lift up his spirit and plunge it into the ground. And as soon as he does, everybody pitches camp, stops right there. But when the shake plays sheep, says it's time to go, he goes over and he pulls his spear up. And when he does, everybody starts getting ready to move. And that's exactly what the glory cloud does. When it gets ready to stop, he stops. When he gets ready to move, he moves. And everybody stops and everybody moves according to the Spirit of the Lord because they are led by the Holy Ghost. They're not led by their own minds. They're led by the Spirit of God. And that camp of 480 miles, square miles, almost 500 square miles, when the Holy Ghost, when the Spirit of God, this kind of glory cloud began to move, the people got up, pitched their tents, took the tabernacle down. The first man started walking. The first five in rank started walking. They walked and they walked and they walked. They came to a certain point. And then ten days later, if the camp traveled one mile per hour, one mile per hour, 230 miles long, one mile per hour, ten days later, the last guy comes by where the first guy had gone. God doesn't do anything on a little scale. Everything he does is on a big scale. And we are led by the Spirit of God. Hallelujah. Moses didn't design it. Moses didn't plan it. Not one piece of thread that was in that tabernacle was Moses' mind. It was God that told him to do it. And it was God that said, you're going to be my construction superintendent. And after they gathered all the offerings, in the last chapter of the book of Exodus, Moses pitched the tabernacle nine months later. Just like the true tabernacle was nine months in the womb of Mary being formed. Nine months later, the tabernacle was erected and the glory of God filled the tabernacle and covered it, and Moses could not even go in there because of the glory of God that was there. And I'll give you scripture for that as we get into the tabernacle, and I'll show you that truth. Nine months, 
your true tabernacle, Jesus, was formed in the womb of Mary. Hallelujah to the Lamb. Oh, build it according to the pattern. It's a shadow. It's a sketch of something that's going to come. Hallelujah. The heavenly tabernacle, Jesus Christ, the true tabernacle, and now the church is all typified in this sanctuary. It's a picture of His first coming and His humiliation. The temple will be His second coming when He comes in His glory as King of kings and Lord of lords. I'm glad tonight. I know Him. I'm glad tonight He's reconciled me. I'm glad tonight He's dwelling on the inside of me tonight and has saved me and delivered me and redeemed me because the law could not save me. How can it save you if it's broken? So what does He do? He restores you to fellowship by blood. This whole tabernacle is a house of blood. He's going to restore you by blood and then put your put His law inside of your innermost being. You are now the tabernacle or the temple of God. You're, no, you're not lawless. No. He redeemed you by His blood and He put His law inside of you. Say amen. You have become, in case you don't know it, you have become the holy of holies of God. The king is sitting on his throne tonight and it's inside of you tonight. You are the holy holies, holy of holies of the Christ of God. And we're going to have a great time. I didn't get to show you too many pictures, but isn't that beautiful? I, and by the way, I really don't know if this is accurate. This white, these white tents on the outside of the tabernacle, I believe they were black, made out of black goat skin. So that when the man left this tent, I'll tell you later what that means. There's the first picture. Amen. Next. Isn't that beautiful? Hallelujah. Oh, we're going to have a good time. We're going to have a good time. How many of y'all love Jesus? Are you thankful for what He's done for you? Let's stand. Father, we love you tonight. We give you all praise and glory. Let us not fail in the area of our worship. God, we give you praise for the truth. We thank you for building this tabernacle by your word, by your spirit, by your wisdom. We thank you, Jesus, today. That by your blood you have redeemed us. Man fell in the garden and man was restored in the garden. 